Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. It was only a few months ago, wasn't it, where when the news came out that the Prime Minister was going to do uh, an announcement on TV, got uh, Patrick Valance and Chris Whitty alongside him, we thought this is going to be good news because uh, he's going to let us do more stuff. He's going to ease some restrictions and add some freedoms to our life. Uh, I mean, it wasn't long ago, but it seems like ages ago, doesn't it? But I remember one of those press conferences, uh, June, July time, uh, and the Prime Minister announced that we were allowed to go on holiday again in the UK. We were allowed to book uh, Airbnbs, hotels, bed and breakfast. And so instantly, like the first thing we did that evening, it's like, let's get on this Airbnb website then before the whole thing books up, before all the good places are taken. And we found a place in North Wales, in Landudno, and that was our holiday for this year in August. And the way it was set up was um, a lot of the attractions that you'd want to do uh, had very limited capacity. You had to book in advance and stuff like that. So we had to be a bit creative with how we spent our holiday. But one of the things, if you've ever been to Landudno, you know it. There's this uh, massive hill at the end of the town called the Great Orm. Anyone seen the Great Orm in Landudno? We've got some familiarity with it. And we decided that one day our activity for that day was going to be to climb the Great Orm. Uh, And and when you climb it, it is one heck of a climb. It's a really steep hill. You're walking up these roads with tram lines on. And it's like every step is a strain. It's like you're dragging yourself up this hill. So to do this with uh, with Emma and with the kids particularly, uh, we realise a lot of effort needs to go in to this activity. We've got to push through some pain barriers here to get to the top. Uh, And halfway up, I was like, well, why are we bothering doing this? Why have we chosen to do something that's just hurting my legs? Uh, But it was obvious why. We wanted to spend time together. Also, when we got to the top, the views over the sea and over North Wales were incredible. We were sitting in this cafe on the top, having a cup of coffee. You could just see out over everywhere. And where we were getting to at the top made all the effort worth it. We had something in mind that we wanted that that made every step, every pushing through to get there, it made it worth doing. You know, there's a correlation, isn't there, between willingness to endure something and the vision of the future that you have for that thing. It can happen in any area of life. If you've ever studied for a really hard professional qualification, you're having to really stretch your brain to grasp the material. You're staying up late studying, revising for the exams. You're straining yourself. But you've got this idea of where it's getting to you. The endurance is worth it for what you're going to get from it. If you ever decorated a room, you'll know the same thing. All that time scraping off wallpaper and all of that. It's worth it for what the room can become raising a child, all the work that goes into that. It's worth it, isn't it? For the vision of what that can be. You know, hardship is part of life. I think we all know that, don't we? And uh, Different seasons, we might really uh, feel it kind of brutally kind of in our face, or we might feel, okay, well, uh, I know it intellectually, but uh, right now it's not my experience. But we all know that hardship 
is part of life. And particularly, hardship is part of the Christian life. Following Jesus was never promised to be an easy path. In fact, you could say this. Hardship is a feature of the Christian life, not a bug. It's a feature, not a bug. So when we're going through hardship and suffering and enduring ordeals, if we're thinking, hang on, what's, what's happening here? Something's gone wrong. I'm meant to be a Christian and I'm going through hardship. Something's wrong. That isn't the case. Actually, suffering is part of the Christian walk. And that's the topic we're really looking at this morning, endurance. Going through hardships and hard work, hard toil, hard graft in the Christian life. And this is what Paul did. So Paul was the guy who wrote this letter to the Colossians that Claire and Phil referred to. And he was somebody who worked hard for the faith and went through hardships for the faith. But he did so for a reason. Because he had believers all across Europe, across the Middle East and North Africa, who he had a vision for. And he could see the result of his hard work was to present them mature in Christ. He wanted that above anything. So he was willing to endure whatever came his way. So we're going to read our Bible passage today. We're in Colossians chapter 1, and I'll start at verse 24. And I'll read to chapter 2 and verse 5. Now, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints." To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this, I toil, struggling with all his energy. He powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who've not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, be knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I'm absent in body, yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Now, Paul's talking about himself there and a lot of what he's been through, but he's not meaning it as simply biographical information. It's also a teaching tool. What he'd experienced correlates to what we will experience. But I want to start just by tackling the elephant in the room. Did you spot it in verse 24 when I read it out? That in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Anyone do a double take when you first read that verse in this passage? It's quite a verse, isn't it? What is lacking in Christ's 
afflictions. Because from what I know, Christ's afflictions were perfect, complete. They fully accomplished everything they were intended to. And I've read some of Paul's writings, and I'm pretty sure he would say the same. So what in the world is he talking about here? Well, let's start by looking at what he's already told us that Christ's afflictions have accomplished. So in verses 19 and 20, talking cosmically, he said, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So through the afflictions of Jesus, it's like the universe has been put back in order. All things have been brought together and reconciled in Christ. The whole world order that had gone wrong in sin is made right through Christ's afflictions. That sounds like quite a big deal to me. And then on a personal level, he carries on, verse 21. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he's now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So cosmically, he's brought all things together in Christ. Personally, through the death of Christ, he's reconciled you and me to God. So the afflictions of Christ have done all of that. So we can say categorically, no ifs, no buts, no maybes, the afflictions of Christ are enough. Well, then what's Paul saying when he's talking about filling up what he's lacking? Well, let's think for a second about what Paul's afflictions did, because Paul suffered a lot as well. He went through a hard time for the faith. And the afflictions of Paul, what they accomplished is they made it so that this message about Jesus's afflictions could get to many more people. The, the message could spread all through the known world. His sufferings brought the word about Jesus's sufferings to many, many people. I mean, what were some of his sufferings? He was writing this letter of Colossians from prison. So that's a clue. He was in jail. He was suffering. In the different towns that he went to, he got often a hostile reaction. He got arrested in a whole bunch of places. He'd often get kicked out of town. Sometimes he'd get beat up. He'd get verbal scorn and opposition. In fact, he, he lists it in 2 Corinthians. Uh, let me just read a few verses from 2 Corinthians 11, where he's talking about what he's been through. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. For a night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivals, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. If you think about the great Orm that we climbed up in the strain step by step by step, and think of Paul's life like a great Orm. It was steep, it was hard, he had to endure a lot over the course of his life. When I think about my own life, hand on heart, I can say most of the things in, in that passage that Paul had been through, I haven't experienced the same stuff that he has. That's not to say there hasn't been hardship. It's not to say there hasn't been difficulties. But the kind of thing that he went through, I haven't been through 
much of that. I don't know what your experience is. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. But it, it made me wonder a bit. It made me ask some questions. What was it about Paul? Was it just him? Was this a unique thing that he, that was part of like his calling that was just, was it, was it just him? Or did he just get really, really unlucky? Was he just in the wrong place at the wrong time, like every few months? Did it just keep happening by bad luck? I've come to the realisation that the answer to both of those questions is no. It wasn't just a Paul thing, nor was it just bad luck. In fact, as I read through the New Testament, I see two truths that sit side by side. One of them is this, and we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago. The gospel will bear fruit in all the world. The gospel will go to the ends of the earth. Churches will be planted. Disciples will be made. The world will be changed. Every nation, tribe and tongue. But secondly, with that, Christians will suffer. Christians will suffer as the gospel bears fruit in the world. Now, I've read church history. And I've read church history from different times and different places. And I see story after story of suffering and opposition and hardship. And not just history, actually. I read about the global church today. What's happening with our brothers and sisters in different parts of the world. See the same thing, suffering and hardship. And I come to realise that what Paul's talking about when he narrates his own experience, that's much more common in the global and historical church than my experience of not having been through much of this stuff. Paul's is more normative. Paul's is more the way it always has been than mine. And I start thinking about some of the stories that I've heard. A while ago, I read a book called Silence by Shizaki Endo. It was about missionaries who went to Japan in the 16th century. And this was when Japan had pretty much no Christian presence. And when these missionaries came, they were violently opposed. But a few people did listen to me. You got these like fledgling Christian communities started and they were persecuted. And what the authorities did is they took the Christians and particularly the missionaries who went out there and they put like an image of the face of Jesus on the floor and they said, we're going to beat you up and we're going to do violence to you unless you'll trample on the image of Jesus. And these guys weren't doing it and they, they would not trample on the face of their saviour. So they endured such suffering. And then it was like, unless you trample on the face, it'll be the others. It'll be all the other Christians, your brothers and sisters in Christ. They'll be the ones to suffer. And this book's all about the wrestling of like not wanting to profane their faith, but also not wanting to cause suffering to their brothers and sisters. That's 500 years ago. Maybe a few years ago, you saw on the news when, when ISIS was taking Christians to the beach and beheading them. Or I think about... A friend of mine who, uh, he, he was brought up in a different faith background and he gave his life to Jesus. And the response of his family was to disown him and kick him out of his home so he had nowhere to live because he was now following Jesus. Or I hear the stories that Andre tells in Ukraine about when the Russians came in and, uh, and the war and the churches were being shut down and it was illegal to have uh, a church that wasn't kind of run through the state there. And I hear these stories. And I read Paul's story here. This is something that my own experience might not match this, but this is going on everywhere. This has always gone on. It's good for us to dwell 
on passages like this. I know this is a kind of sobering thing to bring up, but it's an important one. In a passage similar to this one, John Piper gives us four reasons why we should pay attention to these truths. Number one, really simple, is a big theme of the Bible. And if God, by his Holy Spirit, has put this down in his word, then we should pay attention. It's something he wants us to think about. Secondly, he says, joyful suffering is more central to magnifying Christ in the world in the New Testament than we often think. Suffering is part of what brings glory to God as we do so with joy and with faith. Third one he gives is this, suffering in the global church is more in our face than ever due to social media. We can find these stories easily. We can hear about what's going on in the world. We don't need to wait six months for someone to come and give an update. All these stories are out there and we can access them all the time. And fourthly, he says the lightning speed of cultural change means that we will likely live and serve Christ in the presence of increasing hostility to faith. Now, I don't know what cultural trends will play out over the course of our lives. I don't know how things will shift. What I do know is culture is seeming to become more and more anti-Christian, against Christianity. We're not the flavour of the month anymore like maybe we were a hundred years ago. Who knows where that will go? It would be good to be ready for whatever may face us over the course of our lives. Now, this is not saying you should feel bad if you're not suffering. That's out of your control. You, you shouldn't just go and pick a fight with someone and be like, oh, I'm suffering for Christ now. Oh, I mean, no, that would just be suffering for being annoying, wouldn't it? But <laughs> we shouldn't feel bad if this isn't our experience. But what I am wanting to do this morning is maybe just shift our mindset a little bit to see that this is actually normative. This is uh, the, the normal experience of Christianity involves suffering. And if we're not going through that suffering, then uh, it's our experience that is a little bit unusual. It's not what we read of Paul that's a little bit unusual. And when we do that shift, I think it helps us on three levels. I mean, firstly, it helps us to really stand in solidarity with our brothers and sisters who are going through this, that we are one body with them and we can stand with them. Secondly, it helps us to pray. If we know that this is going on in, uh, in vast measures across the world, we can pray into this. And thirdly, it, it helps us be equipped and ready for whatever is ahead for us. So hardships are part of the Christian life. But there is another dimension to endurance as well. We've talked about enduring hardships that come. That's out of our control. But what is in our control is hard work. Hard work. I wonder if you notice some of the verses and how Paul worked hard. In verse 29, he said, for this I toil. Now toil is a hard work word, isn't it? Or in verse 1, I want you to know how great a struggle I have. He's struggling for them. Paul worked hard. Now when I was growing up, my dad was a hard working man. He, he had a, a manual job, he worked with his hands. He'd go to work very early in the morning. He'd often work overtime and come back home quite late in the evening. He'd often do a Saturday mornings as well as overtime. He, he was a grafter, he was a hard-working guy. Great example for me. But Paul as well 
was a hard-working guy. He was a minister of the gospel who would use his time diligently to fulfill his calling. And actually, uh, as well as his work with the churches and his preaching, often he'd be up late into the night making tents to sell to get an income to then fund the work that God had called him to do. He was a hard-working man. And working hard is a good thing. Now, I know in this room there are people who work hard. You, you, you go to your jobs and you put in a day's graph. You do your shift. You work hard. That is a good thing. I would affirm that because that honours God. Working hard in your vocational life is a godly trait. And hard work transcends just the nine to five. You might be thinking, I work hard in the nine to five. Great. But actually, Paul's talking about I'm working hard on the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. And in his case, it was making Christ fully known by proclaiming, by warning, by teaching. But I wonder for you, what's the stewardship that God's given you? What are the things that he's spoken to you about? What are the things that he's called you to do? Work hard at those things. I remember a few years ago, I went to a conference in the United States. And um, at the time, I worked for a church who paid for me to go out to this conference. And it was run by a church there that was um, a pretty large church. But part of the deal with the conference is for the week while it happened, you got to stay in the home of a family who were part of the church. And, uh, and the guy in the family was a guy called Manny. Uh, and Manny, he also had a job that involved working with his hands. So he had to go to work uh, and he had to leave about seven o'clock in the morning to get to work and to do his shift. But Manny, he wanted to work hard as well on the stewardship that God had given him which was his family. He, he saw uh, his role in the family as something he needed to work hard at. So he said, well, I have to go to work at seven. So at six o'clock, we're going to do family devotionals. We'll have breakfast together. We'll study the scriptures together and we'll pray together. So even though he was having to leave at seven, he was getting up and he was leading this Bible study and prayer time at six o'clock. But then he said, well, I, I want to be diligent in this and I want to work hard in this. And I can't properly lead this devotional time until I've met with God myself. So if, if I'm leading a family devotional at six o'clock, I need to be up and getting with God at 4.30. So he was getting up at 4.30 in the morning. He was having his shower and his cup of coffee and he was spending time with God and he was digging into the word and he was praying and coming out of that place then he was kind of in this kind of spiritual place having met with God. Then his family kind of trundled downstairs and he could lead them in a time with God. And then having done that, then he, he gets in the car and he goes to work and he puts in his graft all day long. He gets home and he had a role in the church. He was what they called a, a community's pastor. So this was a, a non-staff role. I guess in some ways it was like a community group leader, uh, but it was kind of more evangelistic pastoral. So he had like his block that he was responsible for pastorally. And uh, so he used his evenings meeting with people and, uh, and doing that. And that's how he spent his life. He labored hard. He worked hard just like Paul did here. We should be hard working for the cause of Christ. And um, like the example I've just given, I think this applies in different areas of life. We should be working hard vocationally. We should be working hard on our personal walk with God. You know, if we leave it to itself, it will kind of fizzle. But if we put in the work to, to our relationship with God, carving out the time, wrestling in prayer, searching the scriptures, then our relationship with him 
will flourish, putting in the hard work in our relationships with others, whether that's our family, whether it's our, our community group, the fellowship here at church. We're invested in our relationships. And particularly in this time of lockdown, I think there's an element of creativity to that. Not just letting it be, oh, well, well, I can't see people, so I won't see people. But thinking through what can we do to keep those relationships strong and active. But, but also working hard on, on the ministry, on serving, whatever it is that God has called you to do. We're here this morning because of the hard work of different people. You know, there are some people in this room who got here early and who set up all the kit. You know, you, you guys who are watching online, you can do so because some people have worked hard with the tech to make this possible. You know, we're talking about uh, pioneering kids' work online and figuring out what that can look like. That's hard work for different people. But it's good. It's working hard with a vision in mind. Paul had this vision of seeing these Colossians mature in Christ and all the hard work that you're putting in. It's not in vain, but God is using it to to build his church, to make disciples, to see people mature and complete in Christ. And I I don't know if this is true for you or whether it's just and me think sometimes when it comes to, to serving and working hard, there can be like a begrudging acceptance of it, like almost like an exhaustion coming into so, oh, more to do. I'm, all right, then I'll do it. Anyone ever felt like that? I think this is a challenge to that, isn't it? That the, there's a privilege to working hard to see God's purposes fulfilled. I wonder when it comes to hard work where the dials are set for you. You know, if you had a dial from zero to ten, and you think about these different areas of your life, when you go to your job, how hard do you work? Are you on a two or three doing the bare minimum to get by? Uh, Are you on a four or five working hard? Are you you working at a six, a seven, an eight? Where might you be? When it comes to your personal walk with God, where's the dial set? What about in working at your relationships with other people? What about serving in the church. Now, just to clarify here, we're not talking be a workaholic. That's not what I'm saying. I learned this lesson the hard way. I remember uh, a a few years ago, I I was serving hard in the church, but also I was working Monday to Saturday. I I wasn't doing well on taking rests and taking breaks. I hit a point where I I just completely, this is too much. I can't go on. And, And God in the Bible talks about rest and he talks about Sabbath. So he talks about working six days, but the Sabbath day is for the Lord. And it's a day of rest. So we're talking working hard and resting well. I wonder if for some of us, on the times we're working, we're not working all that hard. And on the times we're resting, we're not resting all that well. This is a call to do both of them really well. And to direct that work into everything that God is calling you to do. Now for Paul, what made all this worth it, we see... In verse 2, this is kind of, as I was climbing the orm, I had this thing that I wanted. I wanted this vision over North Wales. And Paul has this vision that he's longing for. And he says that this is for all who've not seen me face to face. Anyone in this room seen Paul face to face? No? Well, this is what he wants for you then. Because for all who have not seen him face to face. And the first thing that he wants is that their hearts may be encouraged. Now, I wonder if some of you came here this morning and what you needed was an encouragement. You needed uh, something to kind of just lift your head and lift your spirits. And Paul's desire for you and all the work that he's done, he wants you to leave this place encouraged 
this morning. He wants God's people to be knit together in love. Now, I think that phrase being knit together, it means more than just, yeah, we get on all right. It means we're one, we're united together as his people. And then he says to reach all the riches of full assurance, of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Ultimately, what he wants for us is Christ, our, our relationship with Christ. And he puts it earlier in the passage, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's really the bullseye for him, seeing people in relationship with Jesus, loving and enjoying the presence of Jesus within them. And that is what we have. And that's what makes it worth it. That's what makes all the hardships and all the hard work worth it. You know, I've had days where I've spent all day working hard. I'm physically exhausted. I'm spiritually drained. Emotionally, I'm at zero by the end of the day. Some things might have gone well. Some things haven't gone well on that day. And I come home and I sit on the sofa. I'm completely shattered. Is any of this worth it? Is any of this worth it? And my mind starts to think about what's happened today? Well, I saw this person. And in this person, I saw, I saw some spiritual maturity in them that I've never seen before. I, I, I saw these people who, they were in conflict and, and now they're getting on together. And this person, it seems like there's a spiritual curiosity in them that there never has been before. And I'm seeing a maturity of God's church and disciples being made and people stepping up. And when I reflect on that, and I think about that at the end of my day, completely shattered, I can say hand on heart, it's worth it. It's worth all the effort. It's worth all the endurance. It's worth all the hardships because I've seen God at work. This is a compelling and exciting thing. But how do we keep going? How do we keep going? Because it can be hard, can't it? It can be hard to... If you've been serving hard year after year after year, to keep going, to not just hit a point where it's like, I've done all I can do. I'm a little bit burnt out now. I just need to take a step back. And there's an answer. And the answer's given in verse 29, where he says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works in me. I don't know if you've ever let your phone battery get down to 3%. And when it's on 3%, you might notice that stuff starts not working anymore. Different apps that you're trying to run have kind of minimal functionality. And it doesn't do what it's meant to do. But there's an easy solution, isn't there? When your phone's down to 3%, when it's not got the juice to keep going, you plug it in to the charger and you get some energy going into it from outside itself. We're a bit like that. By our own strength, we'll quickly dwindle. We'll quickly get to the point where we've got nothing left and we don't work properly. And what we need is to be connected in to the energy source. And Paul says it's by all his energy. It is through God's energy working in us. I realised a few months ago, I, I had an evening, I, I just knew I was exhausted. I knew I'd given all I had to give and I didn't have much more. And I realised I just need to get with God for a bit. Uh, I need to just spend some time in his presence, get refreshed, get rekindled, and then I can go again. So what I want to end with this morning is just a prayer. A prayer for any 
here who are exhausted, who feel like their batteries are down to 3%, 5%, 10%, whatever number you'd put on it. I just want to pray for you right now that the strength of God and his energy would fill you to endure for the sake of him and his church. Let's pray, shall we?